0: Hey, guys, George Messa, Third Eye Edify podcast here, and I cannot be more excited to have this incredible guest on. He's a man of the world. He's got tons of content. If you haven't heard of him, go check him out at the Interverse podcast. This is Chance Garten. He is a, as I wrote on the screen here, wordsmith extraordinaire and so much more. His show his opening eyes left and right. Inspirational is an understatement, and... We're here to talk about some of the things that he's been studying more uh, lately that I think you'll all be very interested in. And it kind of overlaps with things I talk about here. But um, I think I'll let it take it from here. Chance, introduce yourself to my my audience, please, and tell them a little bit about what you're doing, where they can find you. Beautiful, George. I'm super glad
1: to be here with you today. I love what you're doing. Hugely exciting For third eye edify to to be not only launched but cruising you're you know you're at cruising speed now thanks man doing great people can find me at interversepodcast.com. my show is called the same thing interverse podcast i also have a wednesday show that is a live show called vibrant george has been uh, a frequent regular over there and will continue to be one uh, you know george willing (laughs) certainly so yeah that's what i do i'm a i'm a researcher You called me a wordsmith extraordinaire. I am fascinated with language. And I, as Gabriel, uh, our co-conspirator over there on Vibrant, a.k.a. Slick Dissident, has coined a phrase that is incredibly, incredibly accurate. Philology is lockpicking. Wow. (laughs) And philology is, it literally means philo logos, the love of logos, the love of language, of logic, of words. And in terms of like the kind of contemporary meaning of the word philology, it just has to do with studying uh, language. It's similar to etymology, but I, I really I don't know what you might say the difference between philology and etymology is, except that philology perhaps allows for a little bit more of what would seem like a stretch and, uh, you know, cross-cultural comparison than etymology, where sometimes, you know, it's looked at as more rigid. but as uh, Godfrey Higgins uh, talks about in the book Anacalypsis from mid 1800s, early 1800s, incredible tome teach you everything you need to know right there about mythology and language. But he says that, you know, to deny the value in etymology and to say, Oh, that's a stretch," or Oh, that doesn't, you can't just swap a letter there and change the word and say that it's the same thing. But yet, translations of all holy books and scriptures and you know ancient writings of any sort any translation from an old language especially a dead one into a modern language where you're transferring idioms you're looking at you're making assertions about like the intent behind the words to try to create that same meaning in the language you're translating to that is in many cases way more of a stretch than etymology and yet <laughs> the, uh, you know, accepted translations are, you know, they're taken for gospel. So right uh, there, exactly. there's that. Right. Philology is lockpicking. And we're going to, um, I don't know what full length and breadth of the, uh, you know, the scope of things I've been thinking about we'll be able to discuss today. I don't know how much specific gravy we'll get into in terms of like, you know, cross mythological comparisons and all that. But I do have kind of a train of thought to take us through that I've been working on for a couple of weeks here, you know, it's a combination of thoughts that have, that are older and then some more recent insights and we can kind of start from the beginning, but yeah, I don't know. I'm supposed to be introducing myself. I'm a podcast host. I, (laughs) I balance people's energy fields using sound, you know, helping people to find coherence in their own emotional state and synchronicity with their inner outer world experience, relationship help, Really, there's like very little in the category of the good, true and beautiful that cannot that, you know, that you can't improve and accentuate the good, the true and the beautiful through the process of energy healing. I call it energy healing. There's so many like that's just a catch all phrase. But really what we're doing is helping people find the limiting beliefs about themselves and about the world that they're holding on to. And they don't know that they're holding on to that actually constitute a whirlpool whirlpool vortex of stagnant and stuck energy that is actually in their container like a little mini little mini me (laughs) that is you know taking some of the taking some percentage of their overall energetic capacity and holding it back and they don't necessarily know they're doing it so anybody can benefit from tuning Uh, Always an incredible experience, always a lot of fun. People can get in touch with me through my website or find the sound healing tab under like the shop tab, I think. I don't know. You poke around my website, you will find sound healing and then there will be videos and some write-up explanation of how the process works, how you can get in touch with me to do that. And I'd love to do some more sessions. I've got a fairly open calendar for that at the moment which I don't mind. I mean, that's just more time to write and research and <laughs> prepare right. other things. So for sure. Yeah. I, I kind of have my hand in a lot of stuff. I've always been that way. Um really into like starting new things and, and keeping the, momen- the momentum on the old things that I have going by, you know, streamlining and simplifying maximum efficiency <laughs> and right, all right. that. So yeah, life's been really good for me. I'm really excited to get into this conversation
0: and yeah, George. I'll kick it back to you. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear all that, and really, um, the idea of you know energy balancing, sound healing, biofield tuning—it um, really is. It's almost an essence of the the things that we're about to discuss. Because when you hear a word, it can take you somewhere that it's not supposed to very easily, just by the nature of how it sounds. And um, maybe we can just talk about one or two words in particular that I kind of set aside here, because before we get into you know the deep dive. Maybe we can just pick apart some things that I don't think our audiences are really necessarily blind to it, but it's, it's good to mention them because certain words come up. And again, they sound a certain way. And before you ever really look into what it is or understand it, it affects you in a certain way. And then you can perceive it negatively as opposed to positively or vice versa. It, it happens so often in our language, especially. And I was thinking as I was trying to write a few things up here, I was thinking about our, our first episode, the first episode that i was on of your show which was almost two years ago now and um we were discussing video games in culture but we got to the point where i was saying the english language it's just been handed to us as this thing that it's just taken over it's everywhere and it has so many issues with how it's made how it's presented how it's spelled even and um it, it, it just brings us right back to this, which I'm, again, I'm very excited about almost two years later now. So why don't we just, again, pick apart a few words. I got a few written down here. Let's start with this one because it tends to be, it's misinterpreted quite often until you finally look into it. And that is the word occult because I almost still almost enter a negative space when I hear it sometimes because growing up, the word cult was so ingrained as this unbelievably negative thing, whether it is or not. I don't even care about that, but having a word inside of a word, not understanding what it really means. Let me take it from there. What what does a cult really mean and why is it so easily misinterpreted? And how is it used in, in news and media against us to help us think a certain way about certain things? Oh boy.
1: <laughs> the occult. <laughs> oh dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So people may be familiar with the definition coming or the word coming from the Latin occultus and supposedly the etymology of that is from ob and cello or kello which is uh, to conceal. Basically we're talking about, you know, think about the word oculus. That refers to an eye. So the occult is that which is hidden from the eye or hidden from understanding, invisible, secret, unknown, undiscovered, undetected, the occult qualities of reality or of matter. And then there's a occult sciences that you would call magic, necromancy, (laughs) Uh, ley lines, things that are scarcely visible, but maybe they are evident. If you have an understanding of the flow of chi in the environment, you might be able to say, okay, there are occult lines here flowing from point A to point B. So the occult, in terms of how that phrase is, presented to the public you know we are in an age where all of the possible benefit of studying the occult and that applies to so many things I mean what what can you look at that doesn't have a hidden quality I mean the very nature of the dualism that we find ourselves in I'm not saying it's a bad thing but that you know things have a front back left right up down (laughs) and you can only ever see 180 degrees at any one point and even kind of less than that, that's your whole peripheral vision. So there's a, no matter what you're looking at in life, there's always going to be something about it that's occulted. Like I'm looking at my mug in front of me and the backside of the mug is occulted. Right.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and turn it around and see that, yes, it looks the same as the front.
0: Right. And, and they call it occulting when the planets go in front of each other and you don't, you know, or if, uh, you know, Mercury, uh, travels in front of the sun uh, um, that's, oh, I'm sorry, that's a transit but you, the planets can occult each other as well that's the same terminology for that kind of thing too.
1: Yes, so with the occult it is often conflated with evil, it must be evil mm-hmm. and I think there's a good reason for that because I'm not saying that the occult is evil uh, you know, by nature things that are hidden are not necessarily or guaranteed evil, but things that are evil or deceptive do like to hide. <laughs> I mean, that's what deceptive is. So
0: very true. you know,
1: there's, I, I see why there's sort of an instinct about the occult that, Oh, that's naughty. That is evil <laughs> because yeah, there, I mean, the history of occultism in general is the attempt many times, like with the word magic or necromancy, it's the attempt to do something uh, in a sneaky way to make something happen utilizing the unseen or the hidden forces that the occultist is aware of. But if I had to define really what the occult constitutes in the big picture of our world, I think the occult is, in terms of the hidden stream of knowledge or wisdom that has been used to wield a power differential, you know, from the masters to the slaves of the world, is the, na- the full breadth of the knowledge that humans have managed to accumulate of psychology, the psyche psyche meaning soul, and the occult psychology as opposed to the psychiatry psychology of the modern age is fully aware of and inundated with the knowledge that the psych the psyche of man the psychology of Us as beings is actually in an as above, so below, as within, so without way. It is the psychology of the cosmos. So studying the occult, it also constitutes studying human psychology, universal. You could just call the occult universal psychology. And that knowledge, of course, would provide a power differential if you understood the mechanics of how people's minds work and could manipulate them. But all that being said, it can come across like I'm saying, like, oh, there's boogeymen out there that know how your mind works so well that they can make you do things with, you know, against your free will. Mm. And that is a lie. So that in my maybe difference between other conspiracy researchers or who you might call conspiracy research, researchers right. and myself is that I my most deeply held conspiracy theory is that nobody's in charge. <laughs> you know maybe there's like some mafias fighting and... for power and some gang warfare but right i'm not saying that that doesn't happen and that people don't attempt to manipulate each other cheat each other steal from each other kill each other whatever but i think that it is deeper than that i think one of the most profoundly occulted awarenesses that humanity has chosen to hide from themselves out of a fear of their own power and the responsibility thus you know derived from that power that is the belief, uh, we've we've been holding on to this belief that something can make us do something against our will. That forces can be wielded against us that we don't understand and then we don't have a say in the matter. And so to me, like the most deeply occulted truth of the reality is that nobody is in charge. You have full 100% capacity to exercise your free will. And really, whatever
0: you wish for, you will get <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, the secret might have uh, not been the best approach back in the late 90s, early 2000s, but the concept was correct, you know,
1: in a a sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really that familiar with the secret, but I I see the cultish mentality around it and the material material materialism around it. And that's not attractive to me. But at the end of the day, I think the lesson from the excellent novel chock full of occult occultism, actually is the never-ending story. and the the lesson that I took away from that book was that you always get what you wish for. But if you wish for things that are against your true self, your true nature, who you really are, who you came here to be, you will get those things. but in the doing in the getting of those things you will trade knowledge of who you are. You will begin to hide from yourself who you really are. That's what happens to the main character. He starts wishing for all kinds of things, but each time he's wishing for something that is not, you know, for his highest good and the highest good of the all, which is who we really are. We're all the, all everything is everything. Then he begins to forget who he is and where he came from more and more to the point where, you know, he's basically becoming all powerful, but has
0: no idea who he is. I think that's an amazing metaphor. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: agree. And a lot of our viewers might not know how different that book is from the movie if they've seen the movie. So we suggest yeah, it's very not very different. long, actually. So we suggest that you do read it. And um You'll be glad you did. Uh, yeah, 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 you'll you'll be It's really not just a kid's book. <laughs> no, definitely not. And you know, I think that tends to align something with the um Nordic tradition, maybe the poetic editor or something, I forgot which one it was, but it says very specifically, don't trade lies for money. And um, in other words, don't do something that Don't pretend to be happy about doing something just because you're getting paid, Um, which I see nothing but that lately, especially in our culture. And it's it's really it's too bad. Yeah. Honor is a a real thing,
1: man. That's right. Honor and honesty. There's a reason they are phonetically similar words. I mean, the simplest way to be an honor is to be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. There it is. And there's our there it is. Keeps coming right back to the language. They're almost the same word. Exactly. Exactly, man. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, to end with the occult topic, I mean, we, the things that we've been reading lately, the things people in our circle end up reading are, unfortunately, they tend to be translations if they're older. And that's a way to occult things too. So we have to be very careful about the translations. And um, there's so much, I mean, if things rhyme in a translation, then the translation's wrong, you know, for example, it's just something to be on the lookout for. Huh. When you when you study these things, probably,
1: there probably may be, there's probably there's there's exceptions to the rule, but you're probably Definitely. right. You're pretty right about that. I'm sure.
0: Sure, yeah. I agree. It can't be every time. No, but you know if it runs perfectly in English
1: about Greek words, <laughs> right, right. you being a Greek, Greek, whatever you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, we got a little a little Colombian action, Colombian Greek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and um, I
1: have recently gotten decently fluent in at least the phonetics of Greek, so I can read. Right the Greek alphabet, and I'm not like grammatically fluent in Greek, but, you know, I come across sentences in Greek and in a book like Anacalypsis right here, uh, and I can at least say it out loud. And then if I hear what it sounds like, it gives me a good idea of what we're looking
0: at. Right. And sound is part of the language. As we speak, we say and speak the way that we want to. We use cadences as we speak. We speak a certain way. There's there's a tone to it. There's a rhythm to it. And maybe that'd be a cool word to kind of talk about too. rhythm now that we're talking about it, because that's that's one of those words that it's not like the occult where it's a misjudged and often kind of used against us sort of word um, to keep us away from things, perhaps. But uh, trying to and I, I have so many music students over the you know decades, I always ask them this once they start getting pretty good. I'm like, OK, what is rhythm? Can you even define this word? And mm. it's a very difficult word to truly define. Everyone has their own sort of way of doing it. I have five different music dictionaries. They're all completely different definitions, actually. And I'm not exaggerating. They're really different. And uh, one of them in particular is, you know, three page definition, not three separate ways to define it, but three pages of definition on this very strangely jumbled up word with a bunch of consonances at the end. Um and and the rhythm of life in general is an important thing and that's one of those words that it could mean different things in different contexts but just getting your just getting the juices flowing on words and stuff is that it's one of those words that you you know what it is everyone it gets it but try defining it it's a it's a very weird word to define it really is
1: yeah i just did a little kind of poking around on my Webster's 1828 dictionary for that. But yeah, we're talking about having proportion of sound or one sound proportioned to another harmonical duly regulated by cadences, accents and qualities or quantities, not qualities. So it's math. Rhythm has (laughs) simplified. It's like sound and math put together. Definitely makes one think of that idea of the quadrivium, how to really comprehend the universe you find yourself in. Arithmetic, which is number, is necessary, and then geometry, which is space, and then right. uh, music, which is time, and then astronomy or astrology, which combines all of those aspects together. And if you have a working understanding of those four principles, you can see how they, you know, that gives you all the dimensionality of the experience of the world. You know, and I want to throw something else out there about the word "a cold." Sure, sure, absolutely. Part of the scariness of that word to people is partly due to a completely erroneous belief in the idea that the truth can be concealed. (laughs) Mm, Very good point. But on a purely purely philosophical level, what do we mean when we say truth? We're talking about that which exists, that Mm. which is real, reality, capital R. Well, the beautiful thing about reality and existence is, it is the only thing that exists. <laughs> so I, I truly think that, especially if you open yourself up to this knowing, right, that then you will be able to take advantage of it, that the truth is always present and evident in your environment and in your inner world at all times. But what holds you back from it is the maybe belief that it's not there or that you can't find it or... More, more commonly, more importantly, that you are self-deceiving, and so you're hiding the truth from yourself. But it's always there. It's always ready to be seen. You know, some the things we we'll, might be talking about today with the uh, technology of language, and the true nature of mythologies and religions, and the Messiah, as I like mm-hmm. to call it, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that you know, the truth of all that is right. In our face, right under our nose, but the you know we need philology to, lo- to pick the lock, as Gabe says. So
0: that's no, you're right. You're right. It makes me think of why there's a globe in every classroom, right next to several maps that don't look anything like that globe. And hey, it, it, it starts from a very young age. And the emperor's new clothing said it best. You know, they're everyone wanted to see how dumb their neighbors were, so they just didn't want to say anything. But that kid's that little kid, said something because truth was evident to him. And yeah, he's it's the always there. Was yeah, it's always there. And that, yeah. that that story tells it all, man. It's an incredible work. Yeah,
1: that's also the beauty of truth is that you can kind of rule things out. If they aren't mm-hmm. self evident, you don't need to accept it as truth. Right, right. The words self evident uh, are um, that's an amazing phrase. Just, you know, put that into your mental toolkit and <laughs> work with that which is self evident, and you'll simplify a lot for yourself.
0: Right, right. And, you know, when people say, all oh, these coincidences are un- unreal, like maybe that's the whole point that if, if they're work, if they're connecting, if they're working, they should be. Everything should be making sense once you start putting things together and um, not theories, of course, <laughs> not ancient theories that have not been proven, but self-evident. I like that. That's that's a great way to, to tail that off for sure, man. That's great. So I want to take right. us through yeah, a bit could.
1: of a story, not a like narrative story, but I want to take us back to. Circa 2012,
0: 2011.
1: Okay. I don't know. I guess 2010 is where it is all beginning for me. I'm in college. I'm a film minor. I'm a creative writing major. And, you know, I had a little bit of a... You've seen probably some of my work with, you know, Gabriel and Gordy on the marvelous demystifiers where we're breaking down the symbolism in superhero movies. Definitely. Well, that kind of began a long time ago for me. I was in a composition class as like a sophomore and instead of reading novels and literature we were reading the uh the teacher had us reading graphic novels, which was pretty much my first exposure to all that and I was cool, really impressed, like I really liked the medium. But I didn't get into comics yet. But I did start to start to get the idea of the visual language of comics there is a language to it and we'll talk about this visual language (laughs) and composition language in a second but sure sure you know what happened a little while later was i stumbled across an issue uh called ultimate spider-man number 42 and it was in my roommate's possession uh, who i was living with at the time i read the book and i'm like whoa I was really hooked. I was really into it. I mean, back then yeah. I was like a super big gamer, you know, full on, taking the path that was offered <laughs> and Definitely. through through life of like work and you know, work eight hours, entertain yourself eight hours, sleep eight hours. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like entertain myself 10 or 12 hours, work four hours, sleep two hours. I don't know what the math <laughs> right. is on that, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay, Be so there. like what hooked me about this ultimate Spider-Man number 42. Was he had this interaction with some of the X-Men and they were different than the X-Men that I remembered. They were slightly different. And I looked into it, like started Googling about ultimate Spider-Man and I found out, okay, so the ultimate comics Mm -hmm. title that Marvel had been putting out was a separate and parallel universe to the Marvel comics universe. Right. And I promise is I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just oh, talking no, about comics <laughs> for the audience, <laughs> not for you. I know you're cool, but you know, <laughs> and uh, you know what it kept me from collecting comics or reading them in the past was how like, I couldn't wrap my arms around it. You had decades and decades of issues and seemed all complicated and like, where do you start and how can you actually know it all? And I like, you know, have this, maybe it's a masculine drive to collect and categorize and organize collections, you know what I mean? I sure and, do, man. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't do that. But when I realized the Ultimate Comics was something that had launched in 2000 or 2001, and it had rebooted or restarted the story of Spider-Man, the story of other superheroes, there's Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Avengers, etc. And I was like, this is great. I could actually collect all of these issues, and I could actually – Uh, have, you know, I could have a knowledge of the full breadth and scope of this storyline and this other universe that is, and what's appealing about that in comics in general is it's like a huge collaborative, you know, other world. Uh, Many writers, many artists are working together to create this immersive experience where one story connects to another. And, you know, so the ultimate universe was more well put together where you could, there are fewer authors and it hadn't been going on as long. So it was like, More synced up with itself, and I really liked that over the next couple years. I ended up collecting the entire ultimate universe of comics, right? Right, which I still have boxes of, but that also turned into like buying other comics and spending way too much money on comics back then. Didn't have anything else to spend my money on, should have been saving it. But you know, what is important about this though? Why am I talking about this? It's because the Superheroes are like the gods and heroes of religion, okay? And this is not really disputable. I think this is a fact. You can read The Gods Were Spandex by Christopher Knowles from 2007. Great book that will shed some light onto the the topic if that's interesting to you. But what has occurred to me now and recently is that the reason for new religions that crop up new mythologies new stories is because the very same thing that we see today with comic books that whenever the story had been going on for a long time the tradition's getting long in the tooth and old and all that people get less and less keen to jump in and you know there's too it's too big it's like it's too much i'm not gonna start because the mountain is too tall right so what happens you get Hollywood movie reboots over and over again how many times has the origin story of Batman or Spider-Man been told on screen yep.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> so at realizing this I was like okay this is exactly what Christianity did Christianity took all of the mystery traditions of you know East to West and made a reboot of the Messiah story and and this realization was kind of big because it was like, not only are superheroes like the gods and demigods and heroes of mythology, but if they are like those gods, that means the gods, the heroes, the demigods are like superheroes. It goes both ways. <laughs> and then That's all right. of a sudden a lot clicked. I was like, oh, shit. We're dealing with in terms of the the scribe class the priest class, the idlers who figured out how to tell stories so well that they could get other people to do their work for them and bring them food (laughs) and give them (laughs) offerings and shit. Right. They were literally like me and Gabe and Gordy sitting around and demystifying Marvel. They were big nerds who were super into superhero stories and figured out a way to turn that into a career. Just like there are people today who make superhero movies or do a superhero podcast and they have tons of listeners and they're just talking about the, the stories endlessly. Yeah. So that's a big thing. That was a big thing to realize that these are, it, it, they're re- these are reboots. These religions are reboots of an ancient literary tradition. So I start pulling on the thread. I want to go back to what's the root of this literary tradition. And, you know, before we get there, let's talk a little bit about roots or, you know, I'll give you some com- I'll give you some space to comment on everything I just said, because I'm. Yeah, yeah, uh, otherwise yeah. I'll just go, go, go.
0: No, it's fine. We're you're, you're here. This is why you're here, man. It's great. Oh, OK, <laughs> <laughs> so like what
1: is what is radical, right? Because a lot of what we see in the world is labeled radical, mm. radical fundamentalists, radical terrorists, yada, yada, yada. So I looked back and I was like, what's the origin of radical? It comes from the Latin word radix, which mm-hmm. means root, R-A-D-I-X. And that, that was interesting to me because, you know, something pertaining or fundamental pertaining to the root is, you know, if you do, if you realize that the X, or this is just an example of how X can become S-H. sh right. Because radix, a radish is a radix. A radish is a little root vegetable. Pull it out of the ground and eat that part. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, funny enough, wow. the modern definition in the Merriam-Webster dictionary of radical is not pertaining to or inherent to the root or a root.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> they say right. In, Mer-
1: in Merriam-Webster, we- Merriam-Webster, the definition of radical is a uh, somebody who wants to change dramatically, change or move away from tradition. Uh or established modes you know i'm 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 paraphrasing i don't know exactly what the definition is i'm not looking at it but what year is yours oh i'm just going off of the google search top result merriam-webster dictionary for radical oh Oh, okay okay and you know that's an example of how language gets shifted definitions get changed so now you can call people radical terrorists and at the same time it's almost like a cult mockery that the truth is most of the people who you're calling radicals or a radical fundamentalist, if you're saying radical means you don't want to follow tradition, but a fundamentalist right. is traditional. Trish, anyway. Traditional. Yeah. Of course they do that all the time though. That up down yeah. thing. It's just well, the And then different- that's been the case for, you know, the cooties era. They changed <laughs> the definitions of words right. all the time. Oh you know, yeah. The, the, one of the biggest jokes was changing the definition of herd immunity to have to do with people getting their cow pokes, which I right. call such because vaca is a Latin word meaning cow. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, your herd immunity, it's all a joke. It, anyway, it is, it is. In, in Sanskrit, the word for a root is mula or mm. muli And I, that thought that's an interesting one yeah. because between Latin to Sanskrit to Latin, the W the M becomes a W. Okay. So, wow. you know, the uh, Mooli or the Moolah becomes Wooly, Wooly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, okay, we're right on the Moolah here with talking about <laughs> roots because if something is, we're talking about the root, the the origin, the tradition, and, you know, the idea of some, the idea of Wooly or Fleecy has to do with the the Ram, the most high, right. the lamb of God. And like an example would be an old tradition with deep roots, the Sufis. The word Sufi is referring to wool, as in like they wear woolen clothing. Right. And it's also Sophie or Sophis, wisdom, right? Like the right. Greek the Greek Sophia word pertaining to
0: wisdom. Right. Philosophia.
1: Yeah. And also Sufi is referring to. With this idea of wooliness or fleeciness, the radiance, there's your RAD again, right? the radical root, the radiance of the sun is mm. creating, uh, you know, this effect of the, making the fleecy or woolly clouds around it glow and all that. And this is important because we're talking about, you know, the ancient roots of this system. One of the most ancient versions of the universal mythology system is Buddhism. And Buddha is always depicted with curly, fleecy hair, which I believe is probably a symbolic reference to the, you know, the woolly, fleecy clouds that the sun is riding with. Anyway, so Sufis are like, Sufi is encoding all that. Woolly, moolly, that's how I got there. (laughs) That's cool, man. (laughs) And, you know, and then more, you know, more interplay between Latin and Sanskrit would be how in Sanskrit, the god of fire is Agni. And the Latin word for fire is igni. right? And the Catholic name for the word for the Lamb of God is Agnus Dei. Agnus Dei. Agnus Dei. So, you know, it's it not is. it's not openly asserted by linguists or whoever is the expert, right? <laughs> right. they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, not the asserted. diploma experts, right? Yeah, it's it's not asserted that that the word Agni. Means a lamb or a ram. It's asserted that that word just means the god of fire or fire. Right. And also, and, apparently, and, uh, there's no connection to Igni. Yet Agni rides on a chariot pulled by rams. Ram. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know who else does? You know who else rides on a chariot pulled by rams or goats?
0: Thor. Oh, Thor.
1: Yeah. Well, put <laughs> Thor backwards. If you put Thor backwards, we're back right. to root. Right. Or rot. Rot. Yeah. Yeah. So all of yeah, these, definitely. all of these uh, connections, you know, you can see them if you start to pick the locks of philology, right?
0: Definitely. Definitely. And, <laughs> and in Greek it's uh, a or or I think is lamb or like a cute lamb. So yeah. it's, it's there too. It's everywhere. You
1: yeah. Know so it. knowing, you're all not, this, you're not, not going to find it. <laughs> knowing all this, then we need to understand that. Like when we're talking about either Igni or Agni, or Agnus, these words don't mean just the one thing that they're purported to mean in the one language. Right. Igni is also referring to not just fire, but also a lamb, also to purity, also to fire, all of these things, like relating to the sacrifice of the lamb or the ram. And, you know, so this philology, changing the A to the I, agony to Igni, these things might seem to the I would say uninitiated. I'm not initiated by anybody else, but like those who have unbegun, maybe that's a better word.
0: Unbegun. We'll use that. The
1: unbegun might (laughs) think like, oh, you can't just switch vowels willy nilly, but I'm here to tell you, you can change vowels, any vowel to any other vowel at any other time. That's right. All you need to know to be aware of that is like, think about how people in one part of your country say a word and especially vowels versus another part of the country. But really hit home for me when I first heard a New Zealander talking and they said the word Omega. And, Mm -hmm. you know, here in my Midwestern standard American English accent, Omega. But the New Zealander was saying Omega, Omega. And I was like, that's it. okay, you can just change any vowel to any other vowel because that's what happens between dialects and regions. And if you go back into the history of the language we're speaking right now, English there was a long stretch of time where there was no standard spelling. Right. The whole diction of Aries concept is rather new actually, which is why I like to go back to the Webster's 1828, because that's not far off from the beginning of there ever being such a thing as dictionaries to begin with. I'm not sure, saying there sure. were f- f- dictionaries further in the past, but in, for the most part, the idea of a dictionary, they, they were more referred to as a lexicon and right. There are lexicons that have been unearthed from like, you know, ancient Sumer that show you the Akkadian word for a Sumerian word or the cuneiform abbreviation for Akkadian words. And so there's, you know, there is some like one language to another dictionary, but those dictionaries were for a specific class or caste, the priest astronomers who were the, you know, scribes and the keepers of written language this technology of written language is not something, you know, we take it so for granted and we're inundated by it. I live in the billboard capital of the world, (laughs) right? (laughs) So driving down the road or riding in the car as a kid, I'd always be like, man, it's crazy how these billboards are just everywhere. And as we pass by them, I can't help but the word on the billboard to enter my mind and my consciousness. I can't shut it out. It's just like, Boom! Boom! If, boom! And the, it the casts words a spell
0: just, immediately,
1: <laughs> spelling right into my mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So there's a there's a serious technology to language that is, I think that humanity is missing the boat on it. Like we're we're missing right the origin of it. We don't we don't understand it's intentionally occulted from us. You know, and how I think does it they've... even happen that we get language? You know, that's um, that's what I'm really curious about. We kind of discussed that when I was on your uh,
0: show last, we were talking about what came first, you know, rhythm or uh, melody with music. is the same thing. You can't, it's impossible. And if someone says they know, I don't think they do. That's no one knows. And if someone does, it's ancient knowledge that we haven't seen yet. You know, it's, it's, it could be somewhere though. It's hard to know. I mean, if left, if humans, if you could somehow have a few humans, you know, in a um, Lord of the flies sort of thing where they're all alone on an Island together for 10 years, what would come out of this? Right. I don't think it would be super advanced, but they would probably draw before they put uh, words on the page. Like, oh, I saw this the other day. And they, they would just mentally do it. It's so hard to know. But um, I wish I had an old dictionary as old as yours. I have a 1960. Oh, I don't have a physical uh, copy. I'm, oh, okay. Oh, so you can, you can just look it online. That's just great. I mean, Webster's
1: Dictionary, 1828.com. I know people right. might say, like, it's grabbled. They can change the definitions. It's online. Yeah, that's fine. But like, nobody goes to this fucking thing. No one's no, like, no, sure. it's not that. Kind of like, change. I've never caught him changing the definition from the Webster's no. 1828. This is like a great tool to no, tell it's... you what things originally meant, or you'll right. find fun little idiosyncrasies like, you know, in 1828, there was no such word as matriarch- yeah,
0: matriarchal. I matriarchal just going to say that the words that you think have been around for a long time are not like coven. I found out coven is a very new word. I thought that was a pretty old word. It's not. And um, at, interestingly enough, at the yeah, beginning not, of it's these, not in there. <laughs> it's not in there. Of course not. It, it's, I think it started in like 1910 or something. I, I did a whole episode on it, but there before, is
1: C O V I N right in the and, Webster's and, or the old, old English dictionary here. And it says exactly in law, a coven C O V I N a collusive or deceitful agreement oh. between two or more to prejudice a third
0: person. Right, something negative, of course. You know, there's definitely <laughs> no some coven, there. covens going on right now. <laughs> oh yeah, coven convention. You know, all those words. Um, you know, what's beautiful is they have the symbols and language abbreviations for etymologies, and that that's at the beginning of the older dictionaries. And I wish that more, you know, you buy the new ones, and they they don't have these things, and they're pretty awesome. I, I wish that more of this existed, and that's what, a good reason to get old dictionaries, old encyclopedias. And you actually reminded me of one last thing with the uh, Igni thing is that if we're discussing a Ram, if we're discussing Aries as the beginning of the Zodiac and Igni is to ignite, then that's kind of like the beginning of something. That's the start of something. So there's another, the relationships would be endless. We could talk about one word for seven hours easily and, um, (laughs) and have plenty more to go. It's really fascinating. And your angles and perspective now, I mean, your, your muscles are growing with this man fast. (laughs) I've seen it happen as you're doing it during your shows. I've seen it. And maybe, I don't know if you meant it this way, but doing the vibrant every week, and please, everyone, check this out every Wednesday night. It's a beautiful thing. Um, you doing the vibrant and being a little freer about it, where people can just kind of come and go as, they, you know, as they're invited and, and you find things out, but you never thought you would, and the topic just blazes along, that probably has a factor here that's probably helpful in this regard. You're flexing those muscles even more than you n- normally would be where an episode's like a focused topic, um, there you're just going. And I think that it's helping. I think it's helping everyone who watches too. And of well, course Gabriel, for that. Gabriel I, helps too, of course. He's uh, <laughs> oh man, he, having him on board is a beautiful thing, dude. Oh yeah. I mean I could do I could do it without him, but I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want to. Well, who <laughs> it seems like and Gabriel yeah, what when you having <laughs> Gabe on third Idify? Oh I'm definitely gonna man I got I'm gonna try to figure a topic out. There Maybe
1: no more joyful a witness than gabriel you know whatever mind-blowing thing you bring to him he's just like yes my mind is as fully blown as yours maybe (laughs) more and i'm gonna just shine all this enthusiasm at you and you're gonna feel great you you might give him a run for his money on being a super helpful and positive witness but that guy's really got it figured out i appreciate it
0: he's got more of the info locked in that's for damn sure maybe i'll have him talk about uh, public versus private or something like that because there's so much to discuss there and i'm sure his knowledge is growing with that he's, too. Uh, you know? he's he's real stretchy <laughs> yeah 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 he's, but incredible. if you don't take any shots
1: you'll never make any goals you know that's right that's right you gotta take shots so anyway i brought up the whole idea of how saturated we are in language and there is a phenomenon i found out about a couple of years ago that just like really put a piece in the puzzle right into place, how, you know, this, the psychology of this has probably, probably been known about for way longer than it was made public. But when human beings are exposed to information, there is a direct correlation where the more information is accessible to a, a human being, the l- less attention span they have the less time they can that they do stay focused on any one thing. So that is a huge piece of the puzzle with how mm-hmm. saturated in language we are. We are externalizing our ability to pay attention by right. putting our attention into all these more and more expanding and myriad things. You know, that's a really big thi- really big realization to uh to hold on to. You know, I think that also like this huge expansion of knowledge that is holding a lot of our attention hostage is prone to a civilization that has developed extreme abundance. You know, that's naturally I say naturally, but an outcome of that is people just begin to confuse or invert their priorities, right? Like the knowledge of farming and things to survive, is right. considered boring compared to yeah. literal cartoons <laughs> Yes, cartoon reality offered by entertainment in earlier times the man of leisure and the man of letters were one in the same hmm. not only did they find enjoyment in the endless commentary and rewriting of their literary traditions they seem to have continually sought to use the power of these stories to craft ever better versions helpful for them to shape the minds of the non-literate laborers that the lettered men kept fettered in the religious belief of their cultural fiction. The many church fathers of early Roman and Holy Roman empire admitted as much. There are quotations in their writings where they, you know, they erroneously assumed that no one would ever be literate from the class that they had the boot on their neck below them uh, to, you know, find out that they said this, but, There I can't I I need to have a note here in my notes to like go grab some of these quotes specifically. But I have come across quotes from early church fathers that say specifically things like I teach that these stories of our scriptures are true and literal histories. But I, for myself, consider them fables and will privately like publicly, I'll say that this is all the way, the truth, the life, man. (laughs) But privately, (laughs) I'm a philosopher Hmm. to the end. So, you know, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating how somehow we've been able to convince ourselves that the only value in the spiritual traditions is if they are literal history and actually 100% truly factual things that happened when there's no such thing as history. There's only the present moment And everything else is a story, period, end of stop. There is no way to recreate the reality of the past through words. It cannot be done. You may accurately describe it or not, but even your own memory, you don't actually remember what happened. You remember the story that you told the last time that you told the story of what you think happened. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So just think about it this way if we are needing things to be literal and historical and we're lost in a delusion of mysticism, no different than scientism where the guy in the black robe told you that tr- what the truth was and what you needed to believe to be saved. Just like the guy in the white butchers. Uh, I mean, doctors <laughs> <laughs> lab coat <code laughs> tells you what you must believe to be saved. Right. Like the, where's the value in that? Right. That, like to me, there's no value in morality that is, arbitrated by fake authority, the true value of morality is that it comes from within, that we all have a conscience, Conscience, we all have a connection to the the feeling of what is right and wrong. We all know what is honor, what is honest, what is not. We have that built in. And to do something, to do the right and honorable thing, because it's the right and honorable thing, is the only right and honorable way to do the right and honorable thing. To do it out of fear of retribution or deference to the authority of of man, all of that is no no morality at all. (laughs) It's no morality at all. So when we reframe the way we think about the ancient uh, mythologies and religions, I'm not telling you to jettison them or that there's no value there. Think of all, again, back to like people talking about comic books today and how much fun they have to write, like pulling all the threads of every part of every story. Think of all the endless analysis, derivation of morality, idolization of characters, and all that that you can produce from a single work of literature, even when there's no mystical belief in its historicity or its existence in reality. The Lord of the Rings comes to mind, right? Yeah, yeah, it is that. a fiction so well-created with allegorical truth, chock full of it, that if it were the basis of a religion, many people would probably prefer it to the modern religions, myself <laughs> I included. So. I would think so. And that would be an example of a reboot. Right. I mean, just there's so much in Tolkien alone. Like maybe someday that will be a subject I go more deeply into, but Mm-mm. that guy had the, the lockpick of philology, he yeah. had access to right. some shit you know and like the <laughs> example yeah, he, he I just recited came his own today. poems
0: in the language he invented he would recite his own poems you know that's oh dude that's, and he would not write a common his, thing <laughs> a lot of his
1: unpublished works were in like literally in meter and rhyme like yeah, epic incredible. poetry of the past the guy was on another level yeah um, i'm still working on wrapping my head around that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i found like just recently uh, that jesus christ was uh called okay was called um, hold on i'm going to back hold hold that thought hold that thought got it i found in a uh, i found in a line from the midrash Koeleth
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is like comment commentary or they called it gloss like glossolalia right. on the book of ecclesiastes from like the 6th to 8th century a long time ago there's uh, i found a line in there where the quote is it happened that a serpent bit R Elisar bin Dama, and James, a man of the village, came to heal him in the name of Jesus bin Panther.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's a side thread. Maybe we'll get into, maybe not. <laughs> really big can of worms there. Why yeah. was Jesus frequently referred to in the Hebraic text as Jesus bin Panther? Well, there's a right. great reason for that, but I just noticed that <laughs> the serpent the guy that got bit by a serpent was Elisar. And right. Tolkien called Aragorn, the king, the once and future king, the Messiah Christ figure, his uh, name to his own people was Elstar Elisar, which in Tolkien's Elvish language meant elf stone. And mm. yo, Tsar or Sar means lord and rock and stone and god, uh, El- L is the Lord. L is basically, you know, elf. Right. All of that's there. So Tol- Tolkien was allegorizing very deep truths. Sure, and so, sure. like, what's important about that? Why I bring up that example? Why I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> how we could make a religion out of the Lord of the Rings. I mean, another example that Dylan brought up. What is the name of the land in Lord of the Rings? It's Middle Earth. Right. Well, where did the ancient civilization flourish and the universal system seemingly, you know, arise out of the Mediterranean, Medi Middle Terra right. Earth, Mediterranean Middle Earth? You know, like
0: yes, yep, <laughs> yep. absolutely. He's he's cr- Tolkien. Yeah, he's like totally it's crushing. that good. Right, it's that good. And then even you know, you mentioned stone that there's Petra. It's there too. You know, there's there's several connections to make. It's pretty oh, great. you
1: mean like a uh, Peter Parker. Peter, exactly. the rock, the Lord, <laughs> Spider-Man, <laughs> right. parkouring wherever he wants. <laughs> who's Peter
0: Parker's
1: mom and dad? Well, he's got surrogate or foster fa- uh, family. Uh, right, Aunt May, right, Maya, Mary, Maya or Maya, mother of Buddha, mother of Mercury, mother of Jesus, etc. It goes on. Even said to be, uh, be the mother of uh, John. The Baptist, because right. <laughs> they're the same guy. It's, yeah, it's called, right, right. His actual identity is uh, Orion <laughs> up there. We're not even talking about astrotheology. No, we're not right, even you know? there. Right, we're not it's even mentioning whole other wing of it. Like, that's where it all came from. And right. we're going to get there, actually. I'm going to circle this to astrotheology in a cool. way that is like, jaw-dropping, in my opinion. But anyway, like if you made a new religion out of the Lord of the Rings, the reason it would work is because it's the same conceptual truths Packaged in, th- in a thing that is more palatable to the modern age and reduced, pared down to a size that people can get their arms around, right? right? And that's what I'm telling you. That's what all the religions of the world that have ever rose up and taken hold have always been reboots.
0: <laughs> <I> <laughs> it's agreed. a reboot. Rebranding. It's the same thing. It's all we see in all entertainment. So. There's no reason to not at least make that correlation to somebody who was you know un unbegun let's say at at least see that nothing but remakes nothing but remakes lately and that that should already tell you that there's a very strong thing about the idea of a remake where even Disney remakes their own stuff, you know they go from animation to live action, but it's still the same story they keep wanting those stories right in your face at all times, no matter what so clearly this is this is this seems very valid it's very hard to argue against it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: and maybe we'll get around to talking about why why jesus is Ben panther which i find fascinating
0: Hold yeah on, you need, mentioned bar panther a lot as you were doing your thing lately on the show on your show
1: yeah and i was actually mixing it up bar and ben mean the same thing right but right, it's just ben panther mm. you know a few points um why dance around it you know ba- bacchus was raised by panthers right panthers are the Pateres, the father's There's a lot more to it than that that proves the identity of Jesus and Bacchus to be the same. But the point being that Bacchus was also raised by foster, just like Peter Parker was raised by his uncle, Ben. Ben. Ben, (laughs) right? Of course. I mean, hell, even Parker can be Paul, because R to L switch. Paul, car, car, Ker. It's a vessel of wisdom, the carrier of wisdom, the light bearer. You know, Parker. Right, right. <laughs> Peter, wow. The Lord, the rock, the God. And see, because it and the question arises, like, you know, yeah, there are some tiny hats involved in the creation of Marvel, like almost exclusively tiny hats.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. I'm not sure. pointing any fingers at anybody. No. I'm not making any accusations or whatever, but I and, and I actually do think that there is something about the human imagination that brings us this, inf- brings us this type of information in this structure and this language in a way that is, it's innate to us. So even if somebody is creating a story that doesn't understand everything I just talked about to, or, or even very much of it, you know, you're still going to get characters like Peter Parker, where the names and, th- and things all sync up to the Messiah mythos, the Messiah yeah.
0: Why yeah. would that be? No, there's you know, too I many think-
1: correlations there's much. some there's something about it. like whenever we do marvelous demystifiers and we're just pulling all this stuff out of it like there's no way we're giving them what if you were to believe that we're saying that the creators and the writers and the artists of the movies put all that stuff in there on purpose we're giving them way too much credit <laughs> <laughs> right. way too much credit <laughs> <laughs> they're just like they're not even they're not on that level i don't think maybe
0: they are it at this point now in the in the you know the trajectory of it i'd say probably not and they're just repeating what was already laid down probably not probably probably not not. yeah but so they have the budget that's what they're bringing they're bringing the budget the real value of any story is how
1: well it can allegorize or represent truth when you boil down the narrative into the metaphors Mm. that you can derive that explain natural processes and phenomenon so what i mean by that is like if you get any element of the hero's journey correct in a story, then naturally what will arise within that story are further and deeper allegories that accurately represent nature beyond the intention of the creator. Right. I think everybody's experienced this where they made something and people interpreted things in it that were there, but you never meant to put there. Right. Right that's because if you get the math right the order of operations the process in which nature does things the hero's journey the sky clock the astrologos the enneagram any of these tools that give you a slice a perspective on how nature unfolds then and you build around that structure you will things will arise in it that are true to that structure true to that innate reality there's a, that's super important for us to understand that like a lot of what we're pointing at him like conspiracy conspiracy right i'm saying synchronicity synchronicity (laughs) (laughs) i mean not not that there aren't bad intentions and covens (laughs) colluding you know that's all very well and good but okay so i've made that point um okay so here's i'm gonna go ahead and get to the one of the biggest bombshells here or try to work our way there definitely in my opinion, Bombshell. All right, so I don't know where to start with this? All right, so we know language is a technology, right?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: right. Technology, it, simply put, technology itself. You know, it's a that's a loaded word, right? We associate it with tech, as in electronics and and whatnot. But the original definition or an older definition of technology is a description of arts or a Mm. treatise on the arts technology. So (laughs) an explanation of the terms of the arts. So what are the terms of art that, I mean, that has a whole nother rabbit hole, legalistically speaking, the terms of art of the law system, the terms of art of the medical system and all that and yada, yada. But there are terms of art that are, nature's terms of art there are terms of art like you know the beginning middle end the mother father son the progression of spring summer fall winter these are terms of art so a technology that accurately describes these terms of art of nature this going back to what I was just trying to hopefully elucidate (laughs) <laughs> if you have the technology to describe the terms of art of the creator of all things, the you know, self-existent, self-evident, eternal life force energy of that is reality, the animating spirit of all things. You know, we're getting into what the original meaning of a term like Yadhe Vavhe would right. actually be. A hugely loaded tetragrammaton. It's a hugely loaded Very rabbit true. hole you know, totally misunderstood, but definitely. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I really want to get this out, out in a way that hopefully people resonate with and it doesn't sound too crazy, but go
0: for it, man. You're, you got this, man. Don't worry.
1: So I was trying to like put myself back further and further in time. um, And understand like what a world with less technology in terms of, The, what we, you know, like this idea of a description of arts is completely different. So let's leave that aside going with the modern idea of technology, like, you know, a, a tool that allows you to do something more easily, a convenience, et cetera. And a long time ago, it occurred to me how technology is always a plagiarization or externalization of an innate ability that we have. In our consciousness or in our physical, our physical form or et cetera. So whatever you can do with a technology, at least up to a certain point, it's quite evident that that would have been doable through your own sheer force of being. And so I hope that follows. I hope people get it. Like, you know, you, the technology of a shovel, but you could also dig with your hands, right? right? You know, that's a simple, a simple machine. Sure. A camera. You can see yeah. exactly it's a it's an imitation of what your eyes do right so that would infer that there's nothing technological that didn't pre-exist in some form in nature which is what we are we are nature meaning including the technology of language external language I'm not even talking about spoken words right now I'm talking sure, about sure. written letters the men yep. of letters <laughs> you know all these uh, these the, the reason why. Hercules and Bacchus and Jesus and Mercury and all the others are called the logos or the word of God or the word is because, you know, like Odin, they were the one who gave letters or runes or written, you know, written things to mankind. And I always wondered about that. Like, what does it mean? (laughs) How did, how did, uh, how did a fictional character give actual human beings a, a written language and letters? What is that an allegory for and I think mm. that the, I think that maybe nobody knows this, or nobody has re- recalled back far enough, because mm. history is not real to piece this together. But if technology is a plagiarization or an externalization, or an imitation of things we can innately do, then you know that applies to. If we apply that to everything, we're in a very different world than the ma- average materialist thinks that they're in. Mm. If you really go the distance with this idea about technology then it would mean and i obviously i'm not like able to prove this take right. it or leave it but it right. would mean <laughs> that like everything that we do through the interface of technology is something that we can just innately do as beings with the divine spark as a part of and an expression of the self-existing eternal life force energy of nature the psyche of god the imagination of creation the all the everything is everything that we are <laughs> meaning like right. We have a cell phone and I can text you, George, or I can email you, or we can talk through these screens right here. But on a deeper, more fundamental, radical, if you will, level Mm -hmm. of reality, what's actually happening is the mind that I am, which is the all mind, and the mind that you are, which is the all mind, is interfacing with itself and in a mirroring way, reflecting with itself to understand itself better. And I think that, why we have this expression of technology is because we're, you know, we, we're entering into or we're moving through an age where we have more knowing for one reason or another. I'm not going to get us hung up on like astrological procession or ages or great cycles because I think there's a shitload of gravel and all that. But just sure. suffice to say, we have the innate capacity to communicate with each other because at the core essence of who we are, there's only one of us here anyway. That's true. <laughs> so there, there's all, everything's <laughs> one thing, everything's you know, like one. life force energy is indivisible, eternal self-existent. And we are all animated by life force energy. You know, it's like, is the water in my body separate from the water in the air, separate from the water in the lake, separate from the water in the clouds, or is it one big body of water? Anyway. Wow. <laughs> so, we're thinking, okay, so the technology is an externalization or plagiarization or something we can do naturally and innately. And I'm like, okay, well, if I try to project backwards into a world with less technology, but that these abilities cannot be separate from humanity other than in humans that believe they do not have these abilities to psychically communicate, to send images into each other's mind, to this, that, or the other thing, <laughs> to... uh build giant as pyramids. And I'm thinking right. I'm thinking back, I'm like, you know, one thing that's always puzzled me for a while is, how come the biggest megalithic monuments we have ever, you know, encountered in, in our realm, the Great Pyramid of Giza and right. the, its counterparts, people may not know this, but there's no writing on those, pier- on those rocks. There's no hieroglyphics. There's no written language. Nothing but rock, baby. That's it. <laughs> Right. And it's like I've always wondered like well they must have had whoever built those things must have had written language how could they do all that without the technology of language mm-hmm. but as right. I started to put myself back further and further and and try to mentally imagine like what would the world be like with less and less technology and more and more of the innate expression and connectivity of all consciousness right and the power of that you know it's currently beyond the confines of my imagination wow, <laughs> like dude, definitely
0: dude, dude so the current, you, know? Can, you can't imagine
1: <laughs> what the world would be like if everybody was just like instant manifestors fully right. psychic you know
0: Yep. yep.
1: and i even uh, on to a degree i even understand why we played the game of the fall here like, it's interesting. It makes things a little interesting to have. It, some, it does. Some it dishonor does. and some unknowns and some <laughs> occulting. You know, it's fun. I get it. I'm into it. I'm into it. I like solving the puzzle. But I'm trying to pull the string thread back to its root. And I'm like, okay. So, now let's think about the astrologos. Mm-hmm. And this maybe needs more expanding than we're going to give it here. I don't know. But astrology, astrologos, you know, if people want to really dive deep into this in my, in a lot of my recent episodes, like with Marty Leeds or John McHugh, or just pick one, I probably talk about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm super interested in this concept called Lumashi, which is mm-hmm. a Sumerian term for constellation writing, which is my, in my current understanding, where we even get things like the scriptures, the gospel according right. to Luke, the gospel according to Matthew. You know,
0: <laughs> right. if
1: this isn't evidence of okay, and a side 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 weave, if this isn't evidence of uh, f- fucking reboots and and all that in the con- <laughs> comic right. book superhero nature of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. Then the fact that the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew give entirely different origin stories for Jesus, his birth, his nativity, as they call it. Right. There are some elements that are similar or aligned and then some elements that are totally different well why does that happen how does that come about how come i can pick up a batman graphic novel by frank miller Mm -hmm. and another one by another guy and we get the origin story in both and some elements are the same and some elements are different well we don't bat an eye at that Uh it's comic books (laughs) (laughs) and there is no difference though it's the same idea It's the same Same, idea. uh, So, right. So these different Batman or Spider-Man graphic novels with different origin stories. Well, they're drawing on the same source material to reboot or retell the story for Mm. their audiences. That is what the gospel according to Luke and the gospel according to Matthew are doing. But the source material that they're drawing on is the constellation writing the scripture in the stars. So, you know, to put it that in a nutshell there are names of constellations, uh, asterisms, you know, the names of clusters of scar- stars, right. the names of individual stars. To give some specific examples, you have like Regulus, the brightest star in the Leo constellation, which Regulus means king. But if you go back to the Sumerian and Akkadian, cuneiform lexicons and uh, the Mool-Apin star atlas, you know, and I'm not claiming the antiquity of cuneiform. I'm not claiming right, right. the authenticity of any of it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, sure. No, but it also comparisons. But it also supports the consistency of the system as we see it elsewhere. If we look back, we see that uh, this Regulus star was called by the Babylonians Sharu, and Sharu could mean meant king, but it could also mean child. And then mm. there are a myriad of abbreviations called cuneiform logograms for sharu that give you other words and the wordplay and the punning between languages and the phonetic homonyms synonyms etc all the different clever and crafty wordplay that you could derive out of the names for these stars and constellations that you can see it all together at once you know delphinus the uh, dolphin constellation which also is a a baby <laughs> as well right. or the virgo virgin who's you know there's that and then there's the cancer yeah, no, constellation no. that has a also has a manger in it and donkeys in it mm. you know there's and your nativity you, you mentioned and the, cetus
0: being the whale dog sort of comparison there too oh yeah previous, with leads mar- mar- i think you were, yeah
1: yeah yeah cetus the the whale the dog whale sea monster creature right that's who, who I, ate uh, Jonah three days in the belly of the whale but who right, also, has the same story, right? Yeah. Hercules know, was three days in the truth. belly of a dog. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it was both Cetus. And then Cerberus is a three headed dog. There's probably right. a re and guarding the gates of hell. There's hell is the water side or the winter side of the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I haven't gone and done the legwork on this, but probably the three heads of Cerberus. By the way, who also exists in Indian mythology, Cerbera. uh. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> very cool, man.
1: You, probably the three heads are related to the something with the number three, you know, three days, three heads. There's probably some wordplay there that gives you either right, option. Right. And so drawing on the source material where you have Sharu, Regulus, King, Child, you have he. the words he increases or he adds are encoded in all that, which mm. gives you the name Yosef or Joseph, the father of Jesus a name in Hebrew, which means he increases or he will increase. So in the nativity, you have Jesus, but also in that same asterism or, or not asterism, uh, stellar tableau, as John McHugh calls it, the picture of all the things you can see in the sky at a certain time together. In right. that same stellar tableau, you have all the elements that give you the crucifixion, the death, the tomb, etc. Who puts Jesus in a tomb? Joseph, again, of Arimathea. But nobody like ever thinks twice Joseph. about like why is J- Jesus's dad is Joseph, but also the guy that puts him in a tomb name is named Joseph. <laughs> oh, there's just a lot of motherfuckers named Joseph. Yeah, back just a lot there. of Joey's.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the no, no big deal that Joseph
1: yeah. is his foster father, and you know, right. the word the word foster even comes from fosterus, who is the foster father of uh, Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, because right. they've been doing the same thing over and over again, the drawing sure. on the same source material, rebooting restarting the story for different people so all of that aside there's a lot i just do a lot out there no there's a lot of examples about the astro astro logos or
0: astro theology i'm gonna i'm gonna take a drink you go no that's great this is beautiful because you're you're bringing up the kinds of points that this is what i wanted to get across to anyone who's again unbegun in this territory of information is that and you're touching on some pretty under discussed things even for your own crew so i think this is great you know honestly i feel pretty honored to have this information on you know being presented on my shows is great dude you bet Um, dude just for you (laughs) buddy i love you (laughs) (laughs) i saved a big one for you too don't worry man and uh, i love you too man and you know you told me yeah you did it for me
1: you did you did me a great service with the awesome content you've brought to my show and the preparation and the research thanks man
0: I've I've been holding off on a little Godzilla stuff because that whole series is loaded, and you know, again with the remakes and the retellings of origins, all the same stuff, you know. And I up when you mentioned, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. So you mentioned Cetus, and uh, you know, talking to Marty Leeds, and then you said whale dog, and I'm like, that's very interesting because Godzilla, the name could potentially be Dogzilla. Uh, uh, well, well, <laughs> it, exactly, right? But the uh, the uh, the Japanese Godzilla you know, whale and like gor- gorilla, like it has a similar sound to that. So there's the whale aspect. And then the American name Godzilla has dog backwards. So it's all it's a very strange little relationship there that I thought was very interesting. And from the depths, it comes from the water. Very often it comes from the depths like Cthulhu. He's a sea monster. A, he's a sea monster. And Marty, um, not Marty, uh, Maria Garza mentioned that he mentioned the Cthulhu reference. So I'm going to take a deeper look at that before I go further. But, um, oh, you know, if anyone, Cholulu. yeah, yeah. Chalulu, right. So if you, <laughs> Cholula, if you, if, if someone's listening and is saying, okay, um, first of all, the fact that all of that stuff connects, even if they didn't follow because it was so much stuff that you need to hear a little bit about it first before you're really ready for all that stuff at once, they they can at least say, okay, if all this is connecting and you're finding it now it's flowing because you're in the information set, then first of all, there has to be something to it. And if you still are on the fence about this kind of information, then you said, uh regal re, regal regulus can be a uh, child or king and i don't remember the uh, word that you had used. Sharu and Akkadian, right.
1: Babylonian, Sumerian, one of those.
0: Right. And that reminds me of how in many different languages the word for son and son are the same, as in son as a child or the the king, the, you know, the the son. So there's another way to think about betcha, That exact dude. relationship. Where yes. everyone's heard that one. So if you never heard all the other things you just said, you heard that one before. So these connections are very real and it's <laughs> ain't no fucking game, man. We're trying to get to the bottom of this thing. And the bottom is, I can't see it from here. It's, it's, it's pretty far, man. That's what but, I mean. I
1: think like trying to put myself back in the age before technologies, right. I'm like, right. That is beyond the boundaries of my current imagination because of how much I've externalized my own and our own power into technologies. It's crazy. Right. But What is important to note here about astrotheology is that, you know, I agree with the assertion of John McHugh, if you want to read his work, uh, The Celestial Code of Scripture, really awesome primer on astrotheology from, you know, explaining the miracle stories of the Bible and Greek mythology and etc. But I agree with his assessment that they looked at this Lumashi or star constellation writing as the Logos. You know, like the Lambda, Omicron, Gamma, Omicron, Sigma, Logos, the, right, right. the big word of God, you know. And what I mean by that is they took the, first of all, they're the only ones with any literacy at all. Right. You know, the, the, yeah, back then you're saying, were the yeah. only ones with literacy. All right? right. And maybe some of the Royals, but Royals were also of the priest class. We're right. dealing with family mafias, then it's always been mafia system. <laughs> sure, sure. But I, I do think that they honestly believed, and I'm not even saying they're wrong about this, but they honestly believed that finding the word plays that gave new information. And I mean McHugh is tracking down word for word Bible entire chapters of the Bible, word for word, every word of every chapter is available in the stellar tableau of a certain time of year in the region where that story came from, you know? So (laughs) I think that they're maybe onto this that like, but the question is why, why did they believe that this wordplay reading between the lines and the information that they could find there constituted actual knowledge, not only of future events, but past events. Why did they believe that this was, the actual word of the gods that they looked at the stars as gods. Everything in the heaven was were deities, right? And even in fact, when you look at words like the Greek word for sky, Uranos, that's also like the the father of the gods as well. Same name. Mm. So we're talking about uh, the same with like uh, Anu or on An, A N, right? Sumerian. I'm pretty sure it was not just the the uh, top god, top G, right. <laughs> but also the. The name for the uh, sky. So, you know, the phrase, the understanding to to get here is like to get to get people, pull people out of the mystical befuddlement of their mind that has occurred, you know, and very similar to the scientism uh, mechanism Mm -hmm. befuddlement that has occurred. Heaven is the sky. Okay. Heaven isn't like some other dimension, some other realm, something beyond I mean, it is beyond in the sense it's metaphysical, beyond the right. physical. It's up there, can't be changed, can't can't be physically gone to.
0: Right. Obviously, you know you're hip to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I no one's going maybe there's there. a firmament that'll stop us. Who knows? You know, it, it's it seems like there is allegedly I a mean, firmament. I don't know. We don't I know. We can't. To. Neither of us are saying that it's a guarantee, but I don't know if anyone's made it past whatever it is. So it's I really, don't think so personally. I don't think
1: so, I don't think so yeah. but. Really, you know, really it's just because I have no evidence of it and I, I'm it's unimportant, right. but no, no, that's heaven that's is the sky. Okay. And the messages, the whole sky is the sky father, the whole sky is Anu, the whole sky is, you know, the uh, Yad He Vav the Tetragrammaton. And then the characters within the sky are the emanations of the deity, in a mm-hmm. sense. That's how I look at it, anyway. Sure. So the fact that we have this astrotheology constituting the word of God that is being scribed by the literate classes and castes who also were the controller classes to grant people their mythology, to give people their history, you know, and there's a whole nother side conversation to be had about how some of those histories, which are astrotheological, like the first 300 years of Rome, for example, right, right. probably constitute the obscuring or occulting of mass genocides against pre-existing indigenous peoples and cultures. That aside, (laughs) right. And I agree that aside, if we go into like trying to put ourselves back for further in time before written language at all, before there was any class of written language, again, this is where it gets murky, but I'm going to take you, I'm going to try to take you through this, like, you know, how the insight flashed in my mind And this Hmm. just recently came to me and I was like, holy shit, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Maybe that's it was that it occurred to me that there's like, you know, charted on a graph, somebody rates of literacy, human literacy, because for a long time, only the one cast was literate, right? Literacy rates are going up. We're at the point where literacy rates are near 100% in, uh, in a lot of places of the world. And in the places in the world where literacy is at near 100%. You know what else is at near 100%, George? Poverty and misery?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Light light
1: pollution. Oh. Light pollution. No kidding. Think about it. No, don't look up. You can't. As we have become more and more literate with the written language, we've become more and more disconnected From the visibility of the stars, the astro logos, the word of God, the, you know, the lumashi, the stellar in scripture in the stars. There's like a perfect correlation, at least in my mind, to that development. Literacy rates going up, light pollution going up, star visibility going down Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. where like you can barely see any stars. And I'm not even in that big of a city, right? Right. So what? Does that inform us on if we're looking at this idea of technology as being a plagiarization or externalization or you know uh jettisoning and reject rejecting of some kind of innate ability we had in consciousness? Are we looking at the actual source of our ability to? psychically connect and communicate and to know things. Oh, man, it's hard to... It's kind like of hard the to original internet, for example. The original is internet. the sky. The original internet. Because uh, I've been saying this for a long time, just kind of on an intuitive level, that language okay. is the first and original metaverse. Mm, I see, I see. If you look at the metaverse as like an artificial realm, augmented reality, language is... an. Language is a reality augmenter. You know, we're, we're we're interfacing with the world around us through the words in our head, our inner monologue, all of that. And when reality itself, the nature itself doesn't conform to our inner monologue, we
0: start to feel like
1: we're in a simulation or like nature isn't real or things are fake. <laughs> it's right.
0: called hyper reality. Right. Caudriard talks about this. Yeah, we went all about this that a few few years ago on uh, on your shelf. We were talking just about this exact thing.
1: Yeah, man. So, t- oh, man.
0: Wow. <laughs> you know, this, to... It's very legitimate, I think. And, you know, for us to have, it seems like we were mentally connected. Again, like the first real internet, a first real, you know, ability to communicate beyond uh, speech or beyond anything like that. I wouldn't be, and I've always thought about it, how the way most people don't look up at the sky or follow it anymore and you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it real fast and no one seems to care because it's not on the hot topics. It's not the important stuff anymore, but then we have all these, let's say let's just for argument's sake, we've got all these churches in this country, Christian churches, whatever, and you go there and they still don't tell you anything about any of this stuff. So even if you're there where you're supposed to have that, Oh, this guy's suggesting to me that I should do this. They don't even suggest it. It, it, the, this page of translation is what you're looking at. And um, I think Manly P. Hall did a pretty good job describing these ideas because he was doing his best to show all the all the ancient scriptures, all the religious scriptures are not only telling you the story of the sky, but they're also telling you the story of all the parts and functioning of your body too. So it is the answer. It is It is a way for you to get in touch with yourself more. And yeah, original internet, I mean, come on. Well, think I, about, okay,
1: it and I, I don't think we've fully done justice to the epiphany here. Okay, it's hard, but, it's but, hard. I believe it, man. <laughs> I mean, it's simple, it's simple, but in some ways it's like, it's almost like an energetic threshold we have to reach to fully grasp this. I mean, that's how it occurred for me hmm. in the simplest way I can put it. But, okay, so what you just described is really key information. That not only are the religious traditions and mythologies encoding stellar Formations and all that and processes, but also, you know, there's the, there's the, what do you, those, the dot, the zodiacal man, the Adam right. Cadmon, mm-hmm. right? So Aries at the head, all the way down to Pisces are the feet, that thing. Where does this come from, dude? Right. I know. <laughs> where do you even, <laughs> where do you even start to come up with this? Where do you, where does this come from? And, That's obviously, you know, we're stretching the limits of our imagination when we're trying to go back to the pre-technological, like pre-any kind of technological age. But if we truly understood the maxim of as above, so below, and that everything is everything, then to me, it seems really, honestly, reasonable to imagine that at a certain point, and we know that like anatomically modern humans go back way farther than anything that we could consider history or records or architecture sure. or whatever and in that state like that lasted so long without any much uh evident changes or at least beyond the veils of time that we would have, be able to know one way or right. another right what were we doing what were we like why were things in such sort of a harmonious uh consistency and and not in a state of stasis but in a in a cyclical, you know, everything kind of stay in even keel. <laughs> right. Songs on repeat. Why is it like that? Where? Why did we have all of this knowledge that is encoded in the stars? How did it get up there? Who decided what went, you know, where, how did you build all that? And the answer might be, the answer might be that wherever we came from, whatever we derive from, or at a certain point in the past, we had a level of consciousness because I don't think we came from monkeys. I think that we are more of on a descent than an ascent. It seems, like it seems what like it. you know, and like <laughs> what if the fall was when we first started to when we created the technology of knowledge mm. itself, dude. Cause I'm trying to like push project back, project back, like what where did it start? Where did it start? And maybe, maybe there was a time where anybody anywhere at any time had the a fuller experience of the powers of their consciousness. And they could look up in the sky and like an Akashic record, like an internet that we have in the external version of technology today, they could find out anything they needed to know up there. They could find out about their how their body worked. They could find out about how the cycles and seasons of nature worked. Like everything's there. And <laughs> maybe at some point, you know, there was a guy – that was really good at telling the story of what he saw up there. Really good at it. The storyteller, right, <laughs> comic right. book author. Yeah, right. and, and this is all, I swear, this is just pure hypothetical. I'm not claiming. Sure. Anything, sure. But like whatever guy was such a good storyteller and people began to like, rely on him to be the guy who gave, who told us what was going on up there. Cause he was really good at it and they enjoyed it. And maybe over time, you know, this investment of, a certain person or his family with the idea that they're the knowledgeable ones. They have the knowledge, the wisdom, because at the head of all of this stuff at the RK of all of this stuff is, is Rassit. It is wisdom. It is palace. It is, you know, all these words metis like that's when you get down and boil things down on all these mythologies and religions. We're talking about wisdom, wisdom, Sophia. And Maybe the first guy who seemed like he had some wisdom actually started to become himself the embodiment of technology, the tribe's externalization of their own ability to know invested in somebody else for the convenience of it, you know? Yeah. And not that yeah. that, that even makes him a bad guy or bad intentions, but like, what if that's the fall? That might what have if been that's a fall, the fall, You know, that's the biting of the apple. And from there, it progresses to eventually you know, the origins of of letters and language. Uh that's a whole nother conversation. You know, where did that all begin? What what was it like at the beginning? Very right. interesting stuff to stretch your mind about. But at the point where written language shows up and we're now like externalizing more. Like what if these ancient astronomer priests further for furthest back that we can go back the reason why that they were looking at the st- sky as lumashi or constellation writing or a scripture in the stars and real information was because they still had a modicum of ability to interact with that, to query right. it, to do a right. Google search on the sky, you know, in the yeah. terms that we can understand. <laughs>
0: right. 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 As long as it was the <laughs> it's right. It's hard time to day, even you know, put your or... imagination into this, but of course, of course, because we don't, because we don't, you know. I mean, we we obviously we can, but it's not the same level, the same concept, we still have the distractions of modern technology. And there's, you know, scientists now telling us that on shows like Big Think, who have just nothing but crazy propaganda to spit and is disgusting. They're talking about how if we were to remake this brain from scratch, we would never make it the way it is now. It it has two ways to interpret everything, two ways to interpret vision, two ways to interpret, you know, words. And maybe that's part of the reason we have our our near surroundings. And we have another way to interpret what's going on upstairs that we don't have it right now. We might not even be able to use it. Yeah. There's a reason for all this, you know, the brain works great actually. And we're still just figuring it out, you know, let, <laughs> let, let those guys rewrite, let those guys create a brain from scratch. And then we'll, we'll start talking from there, you know, but um, yeah. they're they're basing their ideas that we're, our, our brains aren't working great because they don't function well with modern technology. They're not gonna. We can't make anything that's gonna be better than what was already done. Everything is just resembling something that the body has. Everything. Yeah, so, that's, um, that's yeah. where
1: this kind of goes, what you're talking about right now. So like I'm saying that maybe the, written, the technology of written language and letters replaced the word, which is up there, right? And... <laughs> okay so there's this is important this is another important aspect of this weave because right. if we look at our even recent history not long ago our anse- ancestors had folk no- knowledge of what you know doctrine of signatures you could call it what herbs and what plants could be used for what right all kinds of things really useful for survival
0: when to plant them you know that kind of I mean, stuff. mean that What's innate like that?
1: knowledge of what does what and You know, that doctrine of signatures, uh, a certain herb looks like your kidney or shaped like it. So it must be good for that part of your body. All that is very much in line with the innate, like that knowledge maybe even came from the same type of innate knowing and wisdom that humanity had before the externalization of their own power. And what has happened in recent times that we can see, but it, it started a long time ago and has been creeping along forever Hmm. or for a long time is that you know the, this cartel, these mercenaries, these Mercs, these merchants, the that the, the the cult that occultly has ruled behind the scenes and has set up you know the arranged the <laughs> the rise and fall of empires over and over again while secretly being behind it the whole time, rebranding. Just like they do with the religions, they rebrand right. the universe, the worldwide empire as well, sure. to continue obscuring their own hand. You know, the hidden hand. Well, they've creep crept in on our lives in the modern times through technology in an obvious way. I mean, just look at the idea how, when you were a kid, how many phone numbers did you know? Tons. Right. How, when your parents were uh, young, didn't they? find their way places with maps or with written or or verbal descriptions and then once they knew where something was they could just get there that's right and now our <laughs> medulla oblongatas or whatever part of the brain yeah. <laughs> deals with it's probably not that part of the brain but whatever yeah. part of the brain deals right. with uh you know the, your inner world map and your outer world navigation is right shrinking and all that and we are dependent on the Google map app and people are driving off cliffs cause it told them to and yada, yada, right. yada, you know, the same thing. Like people used to know how to keep their clothing clean and then a dish wa- or a washing machine was introduced. And now it's like, you need that thing. So as the right. technology is offered by these merchants and then we're all, we're all actually trading our own ability to do things. I mean, medicine is the key example, so-called yeah, medicine, exactly. the allopathic system replacing holistic herbal you know knowledge of that was folk knowledge folk knowledge sure, is traded sure. for convenience so we have we have modern relatively modern time examples of how this could happen so we're becoming more and more slaves to this technology that of you know our own abilities externalized and and replaced and plagiarized and what's fascinating about that <laughs> to me is how if, you, if this is true, if what I'm saying is accurate, then technology itself is the mirror of ourself. We're cre- We're looking in a mirror with all of this technological capability that we have. And I'm starting to think of it as a cycle. Like I'm calling it cosmomitosis. Hmm. That as we split our own abilities off from ourselves into right. the technological realm, we're actually getting a double of ourselves, a mirror of ourselves, to the point where it's getting fucking weird. And you can
0: talk to chat bots and stuff. Right. <laughs> like, right. I got big, the conversation lately. I know, I know big stuff lately and it's not necessarily a brand new technology, but the way it's being used is it's pretty new. It's definitely,
1: Oh, I wonder how problem. new any
0: technology is honestly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the point of this
1: whole thing, I guess, is that people don't realize that, I, that, you
0: know,
1: no, go ahead. No, I just wonder how new any technology is, and like maybe w- this cosmomitosis has gone on and even been a guided process, repeatedly, where eventually all the power goes over to the side of the technology, and then there's like a, uh, the genocide event, and then the reboot and the retelling of history as astrotheology, and then you kind of just start from the beginning
0: again, and. <laughs> Then it'll just reset. Yeah, hope. I mean, I don't you know. You would think it depends. I mean, people are always like, "Well, it's all going to end." They're like, I don't, think, I don't think that's coming, but <laughs> um, something is going to end. And let's just hope it is all this technology, because well, um, I
1: will. Well, let me push back on that, George, because I'm yeah. actually want to make this point that I think is crucial. That yeah. this isn't like black pill stuff or Luddite stuff, or the technology is evil. I just want y'all to understand that the technology is not. Obviously, it's not your God. (laughs) It's not your master. And it's not separate from you. It is, I mean, extension is even too strong a word. It's not just an extension of your own abilities. Right. It's you. Everything is animated by the same life force energy that is you. So if you get that, then you can start using the technology, you know, to your advantage. Just like we are right now. In honor and honesty. Exactly. Yeah. Like the key is to just not look at it like. You can only do X or Y with the technology. We are more than that. We are beyond that. And if we start reshaping our belief to comprehend that all the tech is, is a mirror and that we're going through some strange and bizarre process of cosmic mitosis, which means expanding, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> well, right, right. then use it as such. And, and, but don't get confused about, you know, your own power. Are the, the truth of who we are and that's the key and uh maybe hopefully we'll help people see like why also dogma which that word is am god backwards by the way yeah, right <laughs> i'm not saying you're god i'm just saying that you are made of exactly what everything else is
0: and it, it,
1: right. it's all everything's god
0: in a way sure and, sure i see that yeah. and you know technology does but what you're getting at i mean it's like the old dusty bookshelf where no one's reading those books anymore, but they're still there. And until you open it, you don't even know what's in it. We we can do a lot without the technology. And once the technology is presented, suddenly we only do it that way. Like a lot of people don't write with pencil and paper anymore because they can just type it or say it, or they can grab a digital notepad and, you know, make the same, uh, you know, they can still practice writing, but it's, they're not writing physically anymore. And that's still a technology though, you know, the writing physically with a pencil. Um, I'm not I sure. prefer need... to do it that way. Yeah, me Still. too, man. I'm or not a sure pen how people guy can a uh... pencil, but you know. Ah, well, <laughs> the musician in me is a pencil man all the way for sure. But you know, who can make a pencil? First of all, we got to be able to make these things if we really want them, you know. And that's that's another story altogether. But if the technology replaces us from doing them naturally, yes, we lose and the ability. Just to have, to have to a pencil it. requires global society. It is. It's a big. It's a big production. That's <laughs> really crazy, man. But that's another thing that's benefit. Now a global society can exist and people can share their talents together. But we also should be able to make a pencil locally. It should be available within your neighborhood. I mean, I, I would think so. I would hope so. But things do, they calcify like a third eye would if you don't use it. The idea mm-hmm. is that these technologies are taking us away from ourselves. They They're can. our own light. They can. They can. They but can. we can also,
1: I also want to assert that I think, You know, digital technology that we're in right now, all swords, you know, can cut the wielder or cut what needs to be cut. Mm -hmm. But considering the difference between previous ages where the scribe class had all the books, had all the scrolls, had all the knowledge, they created this externalization of our inner capacity to know things and maybe even connection to the logos or the sky Internet. <laughs> right. Right. In that scenario where people were really well and in full adoct- indoctrinated into the Messiah, op and that their, you know, heaven is where the rewards are, and just be a good slave now and you don't need to know anything. That's a right. very different, you know, that's a very different world. And a lot of the spells that were constructed to, um, in that world to help keep for people to be kept in the box and not be able to expand really relied on the lack of literacy, that this was an exclusive technology that one cast had and another class didn't. And that's not the way things are now. And use the technology to our advantage. I mean, you can go to archive.org and find ancient texts anytime. You can even do a control F word search on scanned books, old ass books that have been photocopied into the archive and yet the tech can now read that and help you find a specific term or concept from some ancient thing. And that is what I want maybe to leave people with here is that we're not, we're, we're on the, we're always at the moment of choice. Every moment is a choice and we're at the precipice now where we can slip further into delusion and a Mm. comatose experience of reality lost in escapism and fiction and the mistaking of fiction for reality. And if we do that, then okay, that's you know where we've been for a long time anyway. <laughs> True. <laughs> or we can embrace the fact that we're actually expanding in consciousness so rapidly that the mirror of ourself, which is technology, has a is now allowing us to go further and further into the reaches and boundaries of our own imaginations. To start to see things like what our innate capacities were without the mirror. Right. That when we're looking in the mirror, we're only seeing ourselves, and technology is this mirror. And it's at a level where our powers are quite
0: formidable, dude. <laughs> they really are. I try to push that on every episode I've ever had. I'm like, you are powerful and you are smarter than you think, man. Everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dude so that's that's some of where i'm at lately you know (laughs) amazing stuff man you know you're really pioneering some some serious stuff and you've got to me the
1: the biggest explosion in my head was like light pollution up star visibility down literacy up like that little graph in my mind's eye i was like holy shit (laughs) yeah no that's a bit that's a big one man and you know don't you take see it for me because like literacy yeah, is that I externalization do. of the, the logos and the technology and like then the logos right. of the above disappears right you know it gets but it's occulted still, by things occult,
0: it's occulted yeah <laughs> it's, occulted. it's occulted and that and that kind of puts a parenthesis on this conversation it kind of brings us full circle in an interesting way but um one thing i do want to mention now before because this feels like we we kind of said what we had to say today you really are doing some great stuff, man. And this is this is what comes with the kinds of research that you do. This is what comes with the kind of show that you have. And now you have this, you know, you've amassed a great collection of human beings that are also on the same, let's just call it wavelength, and you're all finding things out. We're all helping each other. No one knows everything. It's great that we all learn from each other. And then suddenly we can start figuring out little mysteries that have just been right there, but didn't quite catch it yet. Just because you have an epiphany. And it's valid that you take it seriously. It might not just be some dream that you had by accident. This could be very real, man. This could really be a very big big um, factor in how we see and understand whatever you want to call history or human beings history, whatever, whatever you want to label it as. But one thing that has come with the technology that we should all be very aware of is that they, they manufacture this need for it. And that is something that we have to be very careful about the as well. It, the dependency factor. And the dependency.
1: That is where the slavery comes in, yes. It, it's, it,
0: yes, it's very draining like a slavery. So it's an, exactly. It is it is slavery in its own way. And um, just be aware of it, you know. it also mean be aware that all,
1: all slavery is by choice. There is literally no way to be a slave
0: except in your own consciousness first. Right. Right. Whether it's by law or otherwise, it's not real. And, um, yes, of course, mass amounts of people have been taken under control and, you know, let's not even get into the details, but this is not what we mean necessarily. We're saying that you may feel like you have to keep this horrible job that you don't like just to barely have enough money for your food, your family. And, you know, you never see your friends and you have a miserable life, but Facebook's all you've got. That's a choice. And it feels like slavery. But it is. It's, it's
1: no different than being stuck in a story of needing salvation from, you know, <laughs> Batman or <some laughs> shit. Right. Right. <laughs> Batman that will too. save me. I mean, we have oh, we, like the messiah is such a perv- pervasive element to all this. But it, it that is. It's also in itself a technology. The belief in the external savior is itself a technology. And what. There is value in the technology in the sense that like Mercury, which in alchemy is the thing that carries one Mm -hmm. side to the other side, takes from one side, gives to the other, you know, a trickster like that. But Mm -hmm. the external Mercury, who is your Jesus Christ or whoever it is that is the Messiah of the story is just like Mercury in or philosophical Mercury in alchemy that as a solvent It's got the same root as Savior, salvator, solvent. As a solvent, it helps you refine things down to their essence and then infuse that in the alchemical wedding of bringing your masculine side and your feminine side together, your receptivity and your output, your input-output. So in alchemy, when you have achieved this philosopher's stone, It actually requires the removing of the mercurial element of the Mm. solvent. So the external savior narrative can actually carry you towards the truth, carry you there, take you there. But then you got to sacrifice that Jesus. You got to sacrifice that mercury. You got to hang that Odin on the tree and move forward with the recognition that the only Messiah that truly exists, like any other element of any other narrative or any other element of any other technology is within you and is you. (laughs) You're not, you're not the Messiah to the world. It's just to yourself. But if you can be, if you can be the responsible parent that looks at your own body and your own life, the way that you would care for a, a child that you loved with all your heart and would never do them wrong. If that's how you treat yourself and that is the level of care that you bring to improvement of your health and improvement of, your life and faith in the, the truth and the knowledge of the power that you have within, you know, then you've actually changed the world because your whole world will be different. And everyone that you interact with will be, will feel that energy. I mean, they say the medium is the message. I say the energy is the message. The words don't matter so much as the vibe that is coming through them. I could say anything. (laughs) with the right vibe and people are going to be like i feel you buddy
0: i feel that yep yep you're right and you know if someone's had a bad or a good day when you see them so um these these energies are very real and we communicate and interact on so many different levels that um it can only be called amazing we we humans really are something special and we're as we talk this way we're just trying to again figure out you know what can we know about the past? What, what did we lose? What can we get back? What's already there that we just didn't grasp yet. And, um, keep doing the work you're doing, man, because you are bringing more and more people into the light. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And, um, if anyone that's seeing my show has never met you before, I think they're, they're going to be following you from now on with an open <laughs> heart and an open mind for sure. And, um, I think that everything that you said was beautiful, man. I'm, I'm really I'm very thankful you brought this epiphany here. And I think that it was pretty profound. And I, I substantiate it, man. It's it's legit. This is pretty serious, dude. Yeah, and I just um, let
1: people kick that around because I think yeah. that there's more to unpack about it, and that I will be also unpacking more on my own about this idea of like the pre-literate, pre-written language possibility of an actual as above internet of sorts, in the sense that you could all that there is to know and all that is within you is up there, and that there used to be no barrier between our ability to access it, (laughs) to know it, to see it up there. I think that's very likely or very possible. And it seems far out, but hopefully we walked the path together in a way that brings everybody to that mountain, that Mount Maru (laughs) to look up and see the sacred center within themselves in the as above, you know? Uh, Yeah, there's, there's way more on this subject. There's always more, but the, the the last thing maybe I'll leave people with is epiphanies like that. You know, they may come in life at here and there. But if you really want to be an epiphany farmer, mm. <laughs> you know, you want to grow some of your own, then I think the key, I think you should do the work, not just the reading, but take notes of what you learn. Mm. I know that it sounds like really. You want to just kick back and if you're even interested in reading or watching videos or whatever, you want to just kick back and consume it, but balance your consumption with creation in as many ways that you can. And if you're taking notes on the things you read in the old books and you're writing down what you learn or, you know, get a highlighter, make highlights in the book and just have a notebook for that book where you just like make a point of this type of information is on this page. You know, eventually you'll have all the components to maybe write your own book, but getting into that flow state of weaving thoughts together, writing or speaking in one way or another, it's the same as if you're in the flow state of a, as a painter or as a musician, that even in the time that you're not actively doing whatever the thing is, the art, your mind, this powerful, infinite pattern Machine, (laughs) you know, lack of better phraseology, the mind is going to keep processing all of the stuff that you've been putting in it and will kick back out, you know, epiphanies for you, but you have to engage it. You have to engage it for, to really get the, the full bang for your buck. And if you have this daily practice or regular practice of any of these arts, whether they're physical or language-based or what have you, then in the time that you go to sit down and practice it, you will have ideas flow forth. And the difference between the creative person and the one that believes they're not creative is that the one that believes they're not creative is really more indecisive. And there could be energetic issues going on too. I mean, there are ways that you can help access your creativity through balancing in the biofield. And all that is great. There's many, many ways. (laughs) The beauty of the holistic is that there's like i mentioned about how like one aspect of truth being allegorized in a story and the process of nature being allegorized in a story means that all kinds of stuff will come through that is true allegory same goes for you know the expansive love based approach to <laughs> to what i'm describing right now that uh, you know there's going to be way way more than you bargain for that you can access if you just get the ball rolling and you know, prime the pump, grease the wheels, whatever. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think I'm no, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I think we're there.
0: I, <laughs> I think we're there. We are, we are. You know, you demystified the something that maybe that final the hidden step, you know, just the work really is often the hidden step for people. They don't yeah, really
1: Yeah, even just change
0: the word instead of do the work. Right. Have some fun right. with it. Right. You know, I but never say homework col- to my students. I never say homework. I always yeah. say the work that you got to do at home. Be a
1: co-conspirator with life and reality. You know, balance your input and output. Even right. if it's just for you. Right. These are, right. at the end of the day it's all you anyway. So, whether you're publishing things or not.
0: That's right. I just want to encourage
1: right. people to get their daily flow state on and then have that background process of of like the gears turning for epiphanies to emerge and ideas to emerge. Oh yeah. What I was thinking about the creative, believing the the creative knows that makes decisions. They look at the blank canvas Ah. and they're like, okay, I'm going to do this now. And then I'm Uh going to do that. Nobody's ever had a masterpiece fully mapped out with every brush stroke in the exact order. They're going to do it from start to finish before they came to the canvas. They may have had an idea. They may have no idea but at the end of the day they just make decisions they just do things and that's what i want people to know is it's safe to just do stuff right that's what it, creativity is just making choices and continuing and keep going and they'll come they'll come together in ways you never could have conceived of if you were trying to mechanistically right. piece all the parts together and it's you know don't believe the lie that you aren't creative don't believe the lie that you have no value to bring in that you're only good for consuming and even if you're not consciously telling yourself that lie, if all you're doing is consuming, mm-hmm. you believe that lie. Yes. Yes. You're you know?
0: stuck. And then you have intentionally enslaved yourself. Unfortunately. Oh, and um, Everything's and,
1: awesome. Life's beautiful. You guys life are is crushing. You don't even know how much you're crushing out there if you're listening to George.
0: <laughs> totally crushing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I have some pretty happy fans and I hope they're as happy as I am because... Life is good no matter what. I've been people always ask me, people stop asking me when they get to know me. Like, you know what? I'm not gonna I already know how you're doing. I'm not gonna even bother because I know you're great, everything's awesome. I got it. And they're like, yeah, well, I'm trying to pass it on. I try to pass the savings on to you, you know? Bring it everywhere, <laughs> bring it everywhere I can because it's the only way. And that's like you said, energetically, you interact with people in public and you could change someone's life just by smiling. You never know. They might be like, wow, everyone really is great, and maybe I had the wrong idea about the world. You never know. You never know you, never know you have to keep your positivity to the last, because it's one of the most important things you can do. If you don't use it, you lose it. And more importantly, if you never end up using it, you it's, it's not healthy. You're mm. blocking something. So yeah, every,
1: every other, every being that you can affect positively, you know, not beating them over the head with facts. I'm like, wake mm. the fuck up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah. None <laughs> of that. What m- meet the people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Bring it's about the energy, not the information. Show them what crushing looks like. Do you know live the best life you can. Fearlessly take the leaps of faith to right. do what you know is right for you without a without any belief that there's such a thing as lack. Everything sure. you ever need to survive is in the environment that you're in. And the what you need to survive is, you know, life force energy okay. to take on an exchange in forms like eating and actual light and water and etc and it's all there because that stuff that exchange that you're a part of with your environment the exchange is life force energy exchanging forms with other life force energy and that's the eternal truth of all nature and all reality is that it's the self-existent eternal interconnected and oneness of all life force energy right which is truth thus just like truth is always available to be you know to be found just under your nose, it's right. always there everywhere around you is truth. is just staring you in the face in ways beyond your ability to conceive unless you start interpreting your own life, like, like a dream analysis or something, Right, which <laughs> <But> you can, <laughs> you know, then that means that everything you need to survive is going to be self-evident in your reality in the form of opportunities and pathways that you can take so that no matter what is the right path for you, if it's in alignment with truth and honor and honesty, you will have what you need. It'll be there. It'll show up. You'll find it. Just take the steps. Take the leap. Quit the job. You can do it. That's right. <laughs> quit, that's quit, right. The, quit the slavery, I mean. Yeah, you don't you know, want You can that have job. a job. Yeah, if you like yeah. your job, that's fine. Or if it's a stepping sure. stone and you feel that it's a stepping stone and it makes sense to you, stay on the stepping stone. But like whatever, whatever the best life is that you can imagine for yourself, it's possible and you're way closer than you think but you got to start moving towards it if you aren't already and i think you all are out there but you know the point is that <laughs> if you you need to, if you can't even imagine a better life than what you have right now that is the definition of slavery that mm, is what yeah, the technology yeah. of language is able to do to deceive you i mean that's how slave owners in the past actually would talk to each other they would be like okay so what words do you let your slaves know
0: mm, right <laughs> because
1: the key is to only let them have the words that give them the ability to do their job and fulfill their function without the ability to imagine anything better than for themselves than the life they have and that's, that's right. where a lot of us are at you know that's the lie that's the lie of progressivism that things just continually get better and better in society and that the past is full of dark ages and i'm over here telling you like yo we come from the eternal we come from the all knowing <laughs> right. we come from perfect, pure cosmic harmony yeah. and we actually never left. There's no return to nature. You are nature, right. including and in, including everything that we see and consider unnatural. The only thing I would call unnatural is doing something anti-life that harms your own life force, which you could consider a sin in which the wrath of God is self-evident in the form of how, Doing things that are harmful to your life force energy have immediate consequences for you.
0: <laughs> you know, right away. Right away. Right away yeah. Sometimes right away. But don't live an antibiotic life. No Get me antibio- out of here, dude. I'm preaching now. No, no, no antibiotic. No <laughs> antibiotic life. That's my. That's my final stance there. Enough. Um, that's a double negative, George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> probiotic life. We'll just probiotic it. life is what you want. Antibiotic <laughs> bad. <laughs> well, again, I can't thank you enough, and um been my pleasure just dude re- i loved it thank you yeah this is great, great day ahead. today buddy thank you hell yeah and uh just remind everyone where they can find you real quick before we go
1: yeah uh interforce cad post i mean interverse <laughs> podcast interversepodcast.com on youtube on rockfin uh bit you know all the podcast playing apps you could find you'll find it yeah it's there I'm, I'm the only one named chance Garten in the world too so you can look up my ah. name and you probably find some stuff too
0: Good. My name does not have that honor. So that's, that's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> there can only and, be um, one. There can only be one. And, <laughs> you know, if you found value in this, if you think this was, if this was eye opening, if this was reinforcing beliefs, if this changed your life, uh, at the very least, share it, um, you know, like subscribe, Definitely. of course, but, you know, I know not everyone can jump on a full on Rockfin membership, but at least join us there and use it instead of YouTube, you know, and, and share it at the very least. It'll make a huge difference for all of us and it'll keep this thing going. I really appreciate everything. And um, well, we'll see you guys real soon. This has been another amazing interview and I got plenty more where that came from on this show and many more for 2023. And thank you so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Peace.